Amen. All right. While they receive the offering, why don't you guys go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10. 1 Samuel 10 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a blue one underneath the seat you were sitting in. But we're going to be walking through this together this morning, so you're going to want to pull that out. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10. And in the blue Bible, it's on page 258. Page 258, 1 Samuel chapter 10. 10. We began this series last Sunday. So if you're new, you haven't missed much. You can catch up easily online. We began the series last Sunday, a series that we're calling Kingdom Come. And, and really that prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, when he says, you, you, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, he's pointing us back to the beginning of this idea of a kingdom. A God-established kingdom in the nation of Israel that is now a kingdom over the hearts of men where Christ sits as the ruler. And so we're looking at the beginning of that story. Last Sunday we talked about the nation of Israel longing, um, actually in sin, longing for a king. right? Longing and desiring, rejecting God and saying what we need, what we need is not God, but we need a king. We talked about that idea last week, and this morning we're going to look at the first king of that nation. We're going to look at the first king, and his name was Saul. And in the very beginning moments of his kinghood, in his kingship, when he is announced as king, we see a little detail, a little thing, and if you miss it, you will miss Saul. We're going to unpack Saul's life over the next several weeks here at Flourishing Grace. And all of it, every single bit of it, is going to be marked by something that we see in the very beginning today that we're going to see. Um, all of his victories and all of his failures are marked by one common thread. And that thread is the fear of man. The fear of man. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, and we're going to read this together in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Um, we believe here at Flourishing Grace that this is um, the Word of God, that every single letter on every single page is there because God wants it there. Um, it, it, is, it, it is His, and He has protected it and guarded it sovereignly uh, throughout history. And so, in honor and reverence of it, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word over us this morning? This is from 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Verse 17. Now, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today, today, you have rejected God, who saves you. From all your calamities and all your distress. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Right? The kingdom of Israel is broken up into 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes are broken up into clans. Verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot by the casting of dice. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. 
So they inquired again to the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him? Do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. You guys can have a seat. So in the opening of, in the opening of chapter 10, um, in, in, the, in the kind of the opening of this kingdom, um, God has chosen his man. We're going to see later that God has already revealed to Samuel and he has revealed to Saul who is going to be king. And they, they already know this is going to go down. But so that the people of Israel might see that this is from God. And not from Samuel. That Samuel's not kind of trying to stage something here. God says, let's do this by casting lots. So he brings all of the tribes, all of the tribes of the nation of Israel together in one place. Twelve tribes. He says, all right, let's roll some dice. All right, the tribe of Benjamin. So the tribe of Benjamin comes forth. They roll some dice. All right. The clan, the clan of the Matrites come forth. And they, they come forth. So it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And they roll the dice. Saul, son of Kish, come forth. Saul, son of Kish, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Right, nothing. He's not there. So they go back to God. And they're like, uh, I think there's something wrong with the with the dice. It didn't 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 work. And God's like, no, no, no. He's hiding in the baggage, right? They've traveled to this place, to this path where, where, where God's called them to, to be, and they brought this baggage, and so they, they run and they go, and they, sure enough, he's, he's hiding in the baggage. And they pull him out, and he stands, and he's literally a head taller than anybody in the nation. So the second tallest guy only comes to his shoulders. Like the, the second tallest guy, he's a, he's a specimen of a man, just like a stallion. He's just, he is just a, just a stud of a guy. And, and he steps forth, and Saul says, behold your king. And people are like, long live the king. Who cares that he was hiding in the baggage, right? It's like, long live the king. And they're like, but, but he's here. Like, like what, are you, what did you miss here? The guy is literally hiding in the baggage. They don't care. They don't care. He's a giant. They're like, this guy is awesome. Like, this is the guy that's going to get the job done. Look at him. Look at him. But I believe that in, in this moment, in this picture, God is revealing to us, to, to the reader, and to the nation of Israel, to you and me, he's revealing something about Saul that ultimately is going to be the thing that marks the rest of his life, the rest of his time as a king. He is hiding in the baggage. When his time comes, the greatest, strongest, biggest ox of a man in Israel is hiding in the baggage. Why? Why? I said earlier, I'm going to argue this morning, that it's what we're going to call the fear of man. It's the fear of man. He, he, he has within him, and you're going to see that everything in Saul um, is produced out of a fear of man. What is the fear of man? It comes in all different forms and shapes and sizes. It, it exposes itself in all different ways, um, and, and you struggle with this. Every single person struggles with this. When I was six years old, um, I was forced to um, be the ring bearer in my cousin's wedding, um, which is not a job any six-year-old wants to do, by the way. Nobody likes that. Um, but I was forced to do it. 
And so the day of, they, they get me all dressed up in this crazy tux, and they, they give me my instructions, and it's really not a big deal because literally it's the easiest job in the world, okay? You, you just walk in a straight line holding the pillow, and they don't really trust you with the ring, so there's no ring involved. There's, there's literally, you're six years old. They're like, no, you don't have this. Um, so all you have is a pillow. And so I, all you got to do is walk in a straight line with a pillow and then just get to the end and stand there for an extremely long, at least to a six-year-old, an extremely long, boring period of time, right? But I'm six years old, and trust me, I can handle that. I, I can handle that. Like, I can walk in a straight line holding a pillow, and I, can, and I can get there, and I can stand there for as long as they want me to stand there. It's not comfortable. It's hot, and it's boring. But, but listen, I got this. No, no problem. And so I do. I do the thing, and, and it's, it's no, no big deal. But then, after the fact... They asked me to do something that they didn't let me know that was going to happen. They sprung this thing on me. At the reception, they want to announce the bridal party. And apparently, I'm six years old, I qualify for a party. Um, and so they, they're, they're like, you're going to go first. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what, what do you want me to do? And they're like, you're going to walk in uh, with the flower girl. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I'm six. She's got cooties, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Um, like when, we, when I walked down the aisle with a pillow, she was like back there waiting in the wings by herself, and that was cool. But now you're like, no, 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 you're, you want me to, and they're like, hold her hand. I'm like, no, I'm not holding her hand, man. That's not, that's not what I do. And then they're like, what you're going to do is you're going you're to hold her arm, you're going to walk in, and then you're going to go to the dance floor, and you're going to dance. I don't, I don't dance. I'm six. No one's ever taught me that. Like, this is not what we do when we're six. And, like, this girl is, like, way overly aggressive. Like, she's all about it. She's, like, super into this thing. She's, like, grabbing my arm. I'm like, no, come on, get off me. And, and, and next thing I know, I'm being pushed by the wedding coordinator into the room full of people. And all eyes are on me. And there's this crazy lady at the end kind of like, come on. And I'm like, I don't know you. It's, like, the scariest thing. And I'm just being drugged down the aisle by this little five-year-old girl who's like all about this. And I'm just not. Like I'm, I am uncomfortable. And, and I am exposed before everybody. And everybody can see that I'm uncomfortable. But I'm just going with it. And it's in the moment my foot hits the dance floor, I look across the way and I see the eyes of my mom. And I just pry her fingers off me. And I just run. I just, I just beeline to my mom and I just hide myself in my mom. I was like, I don't want to do this. And I'm just afraid. I'm, I'm afraid of man. I'm afraid, and specifically, I'm afraid that my inabilities are going to be exposed. I'm afraid that people are going to find out. I don't know how to hold hands. I don't know how to dance. I don't know how to dance. And I don't want people to know that. And the reality is that every single one of us in this room has experienced that type of moment at some point. Maybe it was public speaking. Somebody said, all right, you're going to get up and you're going to give the talk. And you're like, no, I don't, I don't do that. Maybe it was like karaoke. Like your friends are like, it's, it's your turn. You're like, no, it's not, right? Or maybe, maybe it was dance. Maybe it is the dance. Like you, you're, you're, like, you're like, no, no, I'm just going to stand in the corner and drink my Kool-Aid. I'm good. You guys just do your thing out there. Have fun, right? May, may, I don't know what your thing is, but we've all experienced at some level this, this kind of, this, kind of this, this fear inside of us. We're like, no, I don't do this. I'm about to be exposed, and I don't, I don't want to engage. And I would argue that in those big things like that, they're, they're pretty innocent, and the reason why they're innocent is because you know it. In the moment, you know what's happening. You, you're, I'm very well aware that I'm terrified. Thank you. Nobody needs to tell me that. But when you don't see it, which, by the way, is most of the time, when you don't know what's happening to you, 
when you've buried your fear so deep, and you've buried your fear so deep, and it's happening all the time, it literally destroys everything around us. The fear of man can destroy marriages, it can destroy careers, it can destroy friendships, it can destroy families, and ultimately it will end up destroying the first king of Israel. It's going to lead to, to many, all of those things are actually going to happen to him. It's going to destroy his family, it's going to destroy his career, and it's going to ultimately destroy his entire life. And he never knows it's happening, he doesn't see it. And I'm here to tell you that it's happening in your life, and there's areas that you don't see it happening. It takes many forms. It takes many forms. Sometimes it's the fear of being rejected or the fear of, of failing, the fear of being unloved, the fear of feeling less than, or the fear of, of missing out. Well, this morning, the specific fear that we're going to talk about, we're actually going to talk about some of those over the next few weeks. But the one that we're going to talk about this morning that is exposed here is the fear of our insecurities being exposed. That people around us would know that I can't actually do that thing. I can't dance. I can't sing. I can't be king. We're afraid that somebody might find out that we're actually not good enough to do this thing that we're being asked to do. And so we bury it. We bury it. So we're going to look at three things. Where does this come from? Like where, what causes this fear of man? What, what, what is it in us that is producing this? How do we learn to see it more clearly? That's the second piece. How, how do we actually learn to identify the areas of our lives where this is happening? Because I'm convinced that, you, that, you, that most of us aren't seeing it. We don't, we don't know what's happening. And then how do we get rid of it? How do we walk in the baggage? Well, the story actually begins in chapter 9. You have to understand some of the details of chapter 9 in order to understand what's happened in chapter 10. At the beginning of chapter 9, uh, we meet Saul. And Saul's dad is, is a pretty wealthy guy. He owns a lot of cattle, and um, he's got it going on, and he's lost his donkeys. His donkeys have escaped, and they've, they've run away. And so Saul's dad, his name's Kish, Kish says to Saul, he says, take one of the servants and go find the donkeys. And so Saul does. He, he leaves to go find the donkeys, and he travels a great distance. He goes many, many miles um, over, over a course of several days to try and find these donkeys. And he, and he can't find them. He never finds them, actually. But what he does find... There's a guy by the name of Samuel, right? Samuel, last week we talked about it. Samuel is the last great judge of the nation of Israel, right? He's the kind of the political, religious leader of the day. Um, and he's a great prophet of God. He, he knows things that other people don't know. God is constantly talking to Samuel. And so before they show up, God says to Samuel, hey, this time tomorrow, um, a young man named Saul is going to come, and he's the one that I want you to anoint as king. And sure enough, the next day, Saul rolls in with his friend. His friend says, listen, there's a guy in this city. He's a great prophet, a great seer. He might know where the donkeys are. And so they go to find Samuel. And when, as they're approaching Samuel, right, God says to Samuel, that's the one. That's the guy. That's my guy. I want you to anoint him as king. And so Samuel brings them in. He feeds them. And he talks to them. And, he, and they spend the night at Samuel's house. And then the next morning... As they're getting ready to leave, he pulls Saul aside privately, and he anoints him privately as king. This is how it goes down. This is chapter 10, verse 1, if you're following along. It reads this way. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And you shall reign over the people? 
of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And so he says, this is a sign. This is going to be a sign. And he goes on to give him three signs. So he says, this is the Lord. God is doing this. And just so you know that this is from God, and I'm not some creepy old guy that's just telling you weird things, like, here's a sign. And he gives him three signs. He says, the first sign is this. You're going to go home. And on your way home, you're going to pass by um, a well-known landmark, the, the Rachel's tomb, the tomb of Rachel. And when you come to the Rachel's tomb, there's going to be two men there. And they're going to know you. They're going to see you. And they're going to say, Saul, your dad has found the donkeys. Don't worry about it. But he is worried about you, so you need to get home. That's the first sign. It's going to happen. Trust me, it's going to happen. Then there's a second sign. When you, when you come to the Oak of Tabor, which is a cool name of a place, the Oak of Tabor, when you come there, you're going to meet three guys. Three guys. And one is going to be carrying three goats, which is an impressive feat if you think about it. The other one's going to be carrying three loaves of bread. And the other one's going to be carrying a skin of wine, a wine skin. And, in, and just in case you think that that happens every day and that those three guys are just always there, the one with the two loaves, or the one with the three loaves, is, is going to give you two of them. And you, you take those loaves. Just take them. And then the last sign, the last sign, Saul, is this. Uh, when you come to uh, a place called um, Gebeth Elohim, when you come to Gebeth Elohim, you will meet a group of prophets. This is verse 5 and 6. You'll meet a group, group of prophets coming down from a high place with a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another Man, right? So God is giving Saul very specific signs so that he might know one thing. You're my guy. I've chosen you. You are the one who's going to be king of Israel. I know this is crazy. I know it's hard to believe. One day you're looking for donkeys. The next day you're being anointed as king. I know it's nuts. But this is from God. I don't know how many of you have ever like laid in bed at night when you're maybe when you're a kid, you're like, God, if you're real, just turn off the lights or whatever, like something crazy like that. Saul actually gets that. Like, he doesn't even ask for it, but God's like, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you are my boy. You're, you're my guy. I'm going with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you up. I'm gonna support you. You are gonna protect my people. You are gonna lead my people. You are going to be their king. I'm gonna be your God. We're gonna do this together. Let's go, Saul. And then, when the time comes, he's hiding in the baggage. When the time comes for Saul to stand up and say, here I am, God's man. He's hiding in the baggage. And I would argue that that, that, that is actually Saul's fear, his fear of man, the fear of being exposed, his inadequacies being exposed, is an accurate but illegitimate fear. Let me say that again. His fear is accurate, but it's illegitimate. The things that he's thinking as he's huddled in the baggage are accurate things. He's thinking, man, I'm not a general. I don't know how to lead an army in a battle to fight the Philistines. He doesn't. He's, he's the son of like a rich dad. He's never done anything in his life other than look for donkeys. Like he doesn't know how to do that. 
I, I'm, not, I'm not like some political leader. I don't know anything about taxes or setting up systems of government. That's true. I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I'm not a good king. That's true. That's an accurate statement. That's true. I've never done this before. I don't know how to lead massive amounts of people into the right good things that are going to lead them into flourishing. And what about the things where we're going to fall, we're going to stumble, I'm going to ruin this. That's true. I'm not good enough to be king. That's true. That's accurate. But it's illegitimate. It's illegitimate. Because God does know how to do those things. God can do those things. And God has declared to him, Saul, you are my God. You're the one that I've chosen. You're the one I've called. You're the one that I've anointed. You are the one who I've given this task to. And I'm there with you every step of the way. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. And so while it's accurate, he's not good enough. He doesn't know what he's doing. God does. And so the fear of man, ultimately, what causes it, what caused the cause of it, is a lack of a fear of God. It's a lack of believing that God is who he actually is. It's a, it's a lack of understanding that God is sovereign over all things, that, he, that he's the maker and sustainer of all things, that there's nothing that happens that is, that is outside of his understanding, that's outside of his control. He's never been surprised. Right? Jeff, Jeff read the text earlier from, from uh, Romans 11, right? Um, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. And he is in full, complete, total control. Always has been, always will be. But Saul doesn't believe that. And fear him. He fears man. So the cause, the cause of a fear of man is ultimately a failure to fear God. So he hides. Because he doesn't want his inadequacies to be exposed. The next question is, how do we learn to see it more clearly? How do I, how do I, know, how do I know what my inadequacies are? How do I know what I'm hiding? And the thing is, I want you to hear this. You are hiding things right now that you don't even know you're hiding. You don't, you don't even know you're hiding them. And there's kind of two ways that I think are, are, are good ways to, to, to assess where, where, where am I fearing man in my life? Where, where, am I, where is this fear creeping in? The first is to ask the question, what's my baggage? Right? Saul's found hiding in the baggage. What are you hiding behind? What are you hiding behind? What have you propped up in your life so that no one will see the truth? For some of you, maybe it's a spouse. You, you've put so much pressure on your spouse to be just perfect in every way. Just perfect, sharp, intelligent, beautiful, handsome, powerful, always right, always good, right? I mean, look at, look at my spouse. Look, look how great they are. And the whole time you are hiding who you are, your deep insecurities behind them. You're like, yeah, but look at them. Look how awesome they are. Like, obviously, they chose me, so I must be pretty good. You've hidden everything behind them. Maybe it's your kids. 
You're hiding your, your, in, your, your fear of being a failure as a parent behind your perfect kids. Look, they're excelling in school. They're smarter than everybody else. Look how well-dressed they are. Like, I got the perfect kids. They're all orderly and well-behaved. And I'm hiding my fear of not being a good dad or being a good mom behind them. And, and so I put all this pressure on my spouse or all this pressure on my kids so that no one else will see my fear. It's a fear of man. Maybe it's a title at work. You said, yeah, okay, I, yeah, I might, I might not know these things, but guess what? Nobody knows because I'm CEO, I'm president, I, I'm whatever your title might be. I don't know, I don't care. I'm, I'm hiding who I am behind this, behind my experience. I've, I've been around, I know, listen, I got the title to prove it, just trust me. And all the while you're kind of burying and shoving down this fear that what if somebody finds out that I don't really know, that I'm not good enough, that I can't pr- produce, I can't perform, I'm not, I'm not adequate What's the baggage? Where in your life are you putting pressure on something to produce for you? What are you pointing the people in your life to? What are you saying? Yeah, but look at this. Yeah, but look at this. The second question you can ask is this. If Satan was going to increase my fear of man. If he, if, he was, if he was going to, if he wants to increase my fear of man, what inadequacy is he going to poke at? If Satan wants to increase my fear of man and diminish my fear of God, what inadequacy is he going to poke at? And if you don't know the answer to that, that's a problem because he does know. He absolutely knows. And he's doing it right now. He's doing it right now. Where am I afraid? What is he going to poke at? And what Satan knows, what he ultimately knows, is that where the fear of man increases, the fear of God decreases. And where the fear of God decreases, sin abounds. When the fear of man increases, if he can poke at that inadequacy, and you're like, ah, fear of man, the fear of God is decreasing. When the fear of God is decreasing, sin is increasing. Sin abounds. It takes many forms and many shapes when this happens. It involves lying or pointing the blame at others, deflecting guilt rather than coming to a place of confession. Or it's like, look over here, look, look at, look at this, right? This is the problem. This is the, this is the thing that we should be working on. This is the thing that we should be trying to fix. Look over there. That's not true. Look over here. It's this person. It's this thing over here. Proverbs 29, 25 writes it this way. Solomon says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's a trap. Satan knows it. He's like, if I can poke at this, these inadequacies, the snare will be laid in your life, and sin will abound out of that. I don't have to make you lie. I don't have to make you deceive. I don't have to make you prop up the baggage so that nobody sees. I just poke at these little things back here. And you do it all on your own. So the last question, now that we see it, now that we know what causes it, how do we walk free from it? How do we get rid of it? Once we know what our inadequacies are, and we can declare them out loud, then... And only then can we take them to the cross. 
We take him to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus is saying the same thing to you and to me that, that God has said to Saul. He's saying the same thing to you and me that God said to Saul. He's saying, you are my guy. You are my gal. You're mine. I'm adopting you as my son. I'm adopting you as my daughter. You are mine. You have nothing to fear but me. I'm in control of this. You are mine. You are my ambassador of my kingdom. You are going to share in my glory. You're mine. There's nothing to fear here. I have covered you in my righteousness. You are mine. Come on. Trust me. Walk in me. You have nothing to fear. You do not need the praise of men. I am sharing with you my glory. You have the praise and the love and the adoration of the Most High God. You are my beloved child. I've adopted you. He's saying the same thing to you as he said to Saul. In the cross, Christ is declaring that yes, you are imperfect. You know you cannot do it, but he can and he has. He has made a way for you to live righteously in his righteousness, not in your own. Now, some of us, some of us take this. Our sin is so deep. Our fear is so great. And we've buried our insecurities so far. We take this truth, and rather than walking in it, we hide behind it. You can hide behind grace. You can hide behind the cross. You can prop it up as your baggage and say, yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, just like everybody else. And you can downplay and you can diminish and you can dismiss and say, look at grace, look at the cross. And the whole time, all you're doing is really avoiding people seeing who you actually are, your deep insecurities and your deep fears. We hide, we can hide behind the cross rather than nailing ourselves to it. We can hide behind it rather than nail ourselves to it. Paul says, and I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that old person, that person who was afraid of, of being exposed, man, that has been nailed to the cross. And, and rather, than, rather than hiding behind grace, I'm going to walk in grace. Rather than hiding behind the cross, I'm going to nail it to the cross. And that grace is going to erode and is going to melt away any fear of man because I walk in the fullness of the gospel. I have been pulled out of darkness and brought into indestructible light. I stand in Christ. I stand in Christ. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Now, friends, I'll tell you right now, this is not a pain-free thing. Nailing yourself to the cross is not a pain-free thing. This involves deep, deep confession. Being honest with yourself, being honest with God, saying, this, this is my fear. And he already knows that. And the people are like, where's Saul? God's like, oh, he's in the baggage. He knows. He knows where you're hiding and he knows what you're hiding. He knows. And so we come before him and we say, I know you already know. I've been hiding this. I'm afraid that someone might find out that I'm not good enough. I'm afraid that someone might find out that I just can't do it. And he says, that fear is an accurate fear. You're not good enough. You can't do it. But it's illegitimate. 
because I am good enough and I can do it. And you're mine and I've already declared that to you. So let's walk in grace. Let's nail it to the cross and let's be free from that. For freedom crosses set you free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back there. Don't begin to bury it again. No, no, no. Just expose it and say, this is who I am in Christ. I can't dance. But Christ has invited me into the dance. I'm broken, man. I'm not, even though the mug says I'm the world's greatest dad or the world's greatest boss, it's just not true. It's just not true. And so I live in that reality that, that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But he's called me. And he's called you. Right now, in this moment in your life, he's called you to something. He's called you to, to be someone. He's called you into that place wherever you are working, in, in, that, in that role in your family as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a dad, as a mom, as a son, as a daughter, um, as an employee, as an employer. He has called you. You're not there by mistake. The sovereign God of all things has you right where he has you for a purpose and for a reason. And so, therefore, we walk in boldness. We stand we stand when our name is called. We stand. We say, this is who I am. I'm imperfect, but I have a perfect Savior who loves me. And I don't fear man. I fear God. And I cling to him all the more. I want to challenge you guys to a couple of things. To stop suppressing sin and insecurities. And to start confessing sin and insecurities. First, got to identify them. Where, where is my insecurity? And what sin is it producing in my life? And rather than suppressing it, I'm going to confess it to God and to the people I trust most in life, that I love most in life, and I know, I know love me. I'm no longer going to suppress it. I'm going to confess it. And then I want you to identify the baggage that you've been hiding it behind. Because you need to get rid of that. And if it's a person, if it's a person in your life that you love and loves you, you need to take it to them and say, listen, I've done this. I've put pressure on you to be this person that you are not. And I've hidden my insecurity behind that. And I'm sorry. I just confess it right now. I'm not going to do that anymore. My life is hidden with Christ on high. He's all I need. He is my only hope. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you and you are our king. And I confess in, in my life, I know there are things that I fear that are not right and good. I pray that you would expose those. That you would be a God who's merciful in revealing them to me. In revealing them to your church and to your people. And that we would be a people who are quick to confess. Say, yes, that is true. That's true. I, I have been burying that. I didn't see it, but I've been burying that. And I'm not going to do that anymore. Because I also believe that something else is true. That you love me in spite of it. That you've already forgiven it. 
You've already cleansed it on the cross as you bled out. He was nailed there. And I don't need to carry that anymore. So I can walk free from the guilt and free from the shame. And I don't need to bury it anymore. I have nothing to hide. No lies to tell. No deceit to to weave. No blame to point. Nothing to hide. Because my righteousness is wrapped up in the person of Christ. And I know I'm not good enough. But you are. Might that be our cry this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen.